Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, so, so there's a very nice uh, parallel going on right now between what's going on in the uh, portion of the week uh, and then also what's going on in terms of the calendar. And, and what you see is we're about to begin tonight um, the, the new month of Shvat. And th- that's interesting in and of itself. Maybe we'll get to it a little bit later, but let me just get to the parallel. So we just read, uh, we just read in the to- in the Torah um, that that Moshe um, is is really he, he's really troubled. He's really troubled by the fact that God has given him this incredible mission to take this nation the Jewish people, out of this empire of Egypt that absolutely doesn't want to let them go. And how is that ever going to happen? That one person is going to take out millions of people. Like they say, like when, when, when the Jews left, that approximately two and a half million people were at Mount Sinai. So one person, like with no guns or anything like that, is going to walk in to an empire that absolutely doesn't want this to happen, that has guards and police and an army and everything like this, and he's going to go in and take out two and a half million people. And he can hardly speak. He has some kind of heaviness of the lips, whatever this means, you know, some sort of speech defect, whatever it is, we don't know exactly what it was, but a, a, a great difficulty... In, because if you think about it, if you if you are that person and you don't have any money, any funds, any 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 weapons, all you're going to be able to uh, depend on is your oratory, right? Like all you have is like the force of your personality and your power of speech, and you can't speak well. So what are you going to do? So that's, he, he, he tells Hashem that, and Hashem says back to him that, who makes a person speak? I, I make a person speak, right? I'm the one who does it. But Moshe is still troubled by it, and then Hashem promises him, look, I'm going to give you Aaron, and Aaron's going to help you out. All right, that's what's going on in the Parsha. Now let's go and see what's going on in the calendar. It's an amazing thing that's going on in the calendar. You ready for this? It says right in the Torah that um, Sefer Devarim, meaning in English we would say the, the book of Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, the, the first day of the month of Shvat, is when Moshe Rabbeinu started saying over the book of Deuteronomy. So, and he says the whole last book of the Torah comes out of the mouth of Moshe, right? Now, remember, we have this, this, this amazing amalgam of the five books. The first four books are coming directly through God, from God through Moshe Rabbeinu's mouth. The last book of the Torah is also coming from God, but it's being initiated by Moshe. So the way I heard it in one way of just understanding that, wrapping your mind around that concept of the fifth book, is what the Abarbanel says, that Moshe said it, and then Hashem said, good, now write it down. So in this way, you see Moshe still initiates it, 
but then it's written down under the command of God, which ultimately makes it Hashem's words, right? But again, let's not get lost in the details of the mechanics of exactly how the last book of the Torah came down. The, the key element here is that we're going from Moshe Rabbeinu, who in the Parsha right now is saying, I can't speak at all, which is true, by the way. It's not like he was being humble or modest. He, he does have this issue. Two, what's going on in the calendar right now, all of a sudden Moshe is speaking magnificently. Right? Like the whole, like the whole culmination of the Torah is coming out of him. And remember, like, what's, so, what's so amazing about this structure of the four books and then the fifth book is, is that really what you're seeing here is, is on one level, even though all five books are under the category of what we call Torah Shebek Tzav, the written Torah, nonetheless, what you see here is a, this amazing transitional point between Torah Shebek Tzav and Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal Peh is, is the oral law, what, what we would call the, the Talmud and everything like that. Remember, just as a historical note, then we're going to get back to the dynamics of this, but, but just for our own educations, we have to be very clear on this point. Um, that when God gave the Torah to, to the Jewish people, and when he gave the, all the details to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses on Mount Sinai, God gave it to him letter by letter. So he dictated letter by letter, word by word. But then God explained to Moshe what the verses meant, right? This is very, very, very important because we have God's understanding of the verses. You see, this is what separates Judaism from other quote-unquote Bible-based religions. Like there are other religions which want to draw on our Torah, right? And the difference is, is that they come up with their own interpretations for the verses. But we actually, and then you say, well, you know, like when I was in, when I, I went to public school in New York City, right? And, you know, they would give out a poem and the teacher would say, well, what does this mean? And one guy would say, well, it's about an elephant. And another kid would say, no, it's about freedom. And then another person would say, no, it's about the author's pains, right? And everyone was right. <laughs> Teacher would say, you're right, and you're right, and you're right. But, but we actually have God's own version of what he meant by the verses. That's the oral law. So again, God gives the written verses. He, he dictates letter by letter the words of the Torah to Moshe on Mount Sinai. And then he says, now don't write this down, but this is what it means. So that's the written law and that's the oral law, both coming down at Mount Sinai. The best example, just so you can have just something to, to, to kind of like focus on in terms of what I just said, one of the verses of the Torah, it's talking about um, observing the holiday of Sukkot. And God says, take the fruit from the beautiful tree. Right? But it, it doesn't tell you which tree. So everybody knows when you have the, the four species, the Arba Minim on, on Sukkot, right? 
Everybody knows you take an esrik, right? In English, we would say like a citron, right? Which is kind of like a lemon, but it's not. It's a different fruit. Everybody knows for in all four corners of the world, for thousands of years, there's only one fruit that's been taken, and that's the, the esrik. But, that's, but the verse in the Torah actually says, take the fruit from the beautiful tree. Now, that's the most subjective verse in the entire world. For you, the, the, the beautiful tree would be the lemon tree. For you, it would be the apple tree. For you, it would be the cherry tree. Everyone would fill in their own detail, right? But it's only been observed one way throughout all of history all over the world, which is the esrig, right? That's a very unlikely fruit to pick, right? If you were just going to... So why, why the esrig? Because God said... Write down these words. Take the fruit from the beautiful tree. And then he said, now don't write this down, but I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. And God said, I mean the esrik. So, so the Jewish people have God's own explanation of the verses of the Torah. That's what's contained in the oral law. That's what's contained in the Talmud. That's what the Talmud is, or you can say the Mishnah, or you can say the Gemara. All of these things are variations on, on that concept. And that's all under the category of what we call Tor Shabal Peh. Right? That's the, the blessing. That's the oral law. Okay? So now let's go back to the structure of the Torah. We've got the first four books, right? Which is all directly dictated God to Moshe. Then we have Moshe all of a sudden saying the fifth book. Right? Which is this transitional point from Torah Shebek Tzav, the written Torah, to, Shura, to Torah Shabal Peh. Because Torah Shabal Peh has never ended. Even though we've got all of the verses um, that are written down from, from the very beginning, nonetheless, there's been a divine flow throughout the generations where more and more and more levels of what's written there is revealed. And this comes to someone who connects himself to the Torah, with purity and with truth, and then all of a sudden their eyes are opened up and God reveals to them more and more levels that are in the Torah. And that's still under the category of Torah Shabal Peh. Right? Unpacking the infinite, infinite meaning of, of everything that's in the Torah. Okay? So, who would be the greatest exemplar of being able to delve into the depths of the Torah? That would be Moshe. So you have in the structure of the five books, the four written books, and then already with Moshe speaking, you have the transition, right, to this unbelievable, like, privilege that we have to participate in the divine flow and continued revelation of all the levels of the Torah. Okay, but again, let's return to the original point because I want to apply it to us and, and, and so that we can can appreciate um, what this means in terms of our own personal lives. So in the Parsha, Moshe begins by saying, I am not a man of words. And then, that's what's going on in the Parsha. In terms of the calendar, at this same time, all of a sudden Moshe is saying the last book of the Torah, which is the pinnacle, the pinnacle of speaking. It's the pinnacle of speaking. And if you look, the very first letter of Sefer Devarim is the letter Aleph. 
right? Which we know stands for Hashem. So here's Moshe speaking, and he's reached the level of the letter Aleph, right? To the extent that such a thing is humanly possible. All right. So in other words, what we're seeing right here, what we're seeing right here is is growth. We're seeing tremendous growth. And... And that's, that's sort of like, that's the vision for all of our lives. The transition that Moshe goes from not being able to do it at all to being, to being the greatest exemplar of it, right? That's, that's for all of us. This is for all of us. Now I want to, let's go a little bit more deeply into this. You know, it says, the, the Mishnah explains that right at the end of the sixth day of creation, on the seventh day of creation, God created, that, that was Shabbos, okay? So there was no, nothing new created on Shabbos, although some people would like to say that, that the concept of rest was created. Okay, but in terms of n- new things in the world, no- nothing was created on Shabbos. Okay? However, the moment right before Shabbos, the moment right before Shabbos, God created, according to the Mishnah, all of these miraculous things that would be needed throughout history. So, for instance, they give like amazing examples. They say the, the, the mouth of the donkey that spoke to Bilaam was created like in the last moments of creation, right? Right before Shabbos. The hole that swallowed up Korach, right? Who tried to lead a rebellion against Moshe in the desert. That was created like in the moments before Shabbos. And there's a whole list of things because basically, after we ate from the tree of knowledge, right, and it see, and, 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 and exile was, was put upon the world, God saw into the future, right? God is above time, right? Everything past, present, future is all in front of God at every moment. God saw that certain things were going to be needed because, so to speak, the temperature of humanity had just been taken, in terms of our eating from the tree of knowledge and, and, and the growth and the fixing process that we'd have to do over history. And so God saw that at certain points, certain miraculous things were going to be needed, so he created it them then and there before the first Shabbos takes place. Fascinatingly, one of the things that God created, and we're still talking about all of us, and we're talking about our growth and our life and everything like this, was was the ram that Avraham would sacrifice in place of Yitzchak by the Akedah. Okay? So, so all of you know the story. Hashem says to the, the greatest test of Avraham, take your son, right, and, and, and put him up on the altar. And 
So Abraham did this amazing thing, and he, he, he did that. And, and, and then God says, okay, now I see that you're absolutely God-fearing and everything like this, and you're completely attached to me. And then all of a sudden they, they hear this rustle and, and, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the bushes over there, and they see that there's a ram caught in the, thorn, in the, in the thorns there. And in lieu of Yitzchak, this ram is sacrificed. Right? And this ram is an amazing ram. Because you see, it was created, according to the Mishnah, before, before, like, during the, during the seven days of creation. All right? So, so, so let's, we got to, just one note about this ram. They say, the Medrash teaches that one of the horns of that ram because remember, this, the, the fact that Abraham, this was the 10th test of Abraham, the fact that Abraham endured this basically was, was you see, it's, it's like we have all of these moments in Torah where it's sort of like, it's like concentric circles where the war is won, now we just have to win the war. <laughs> it's like, that's like the innermost circle. Then there's a circle beyond that and it's sort of like, the war is now really won. Now we got to go out and win the war. <laughs> and so, in other words, total victory is foreseen in terms of like the destiny of the future is, is, is assured. But now we have to go out and we have to realize it. And one of these moments where absolutely the future destiny is assured is when Abraham passes this test. Right? So, so, so it's appropriate then that the Medrash teaches that one of those horns from that ram, right, which is, you know, the, you know, the, the symbol of Avram having passed now all ten tests, right, was blown at Mount Sinai with the giving of the Torah. And it was heard around the world. That's, that's one of the horns. The other horn, the rabbis teach, will be blown when Mashiach comes, when we talk about the great shofar blast of Mashiach, that's the other horn of that ram. Okay, so you see like, wow, this is like a very big moment. But now, we have to get back to the point. The point is, from the time that ram was created, according to the Mishnah, to the time that it sacrificed, that's a really old ram. <laughs> I mean, what was that? That ram is what I I don't even know. It's nineteen forty-eight. Yeah. So Abraham is born in nineteen forty-eight. So uh, so almost two thousand year old ram. It's it's, it's walking around for two thousand years, right? If we're if we're taking it now, you could I understand you could argue that no the the idea of that ram was created or whatever it is and then it was born and it's a normal ram and everything like that. Okay, you can interpret it however you like. But, but the point is whether you say that it was walking around for 2,000 years or whether you say it was walking around for a few months, whatever it is, the point that I'm about to make is the same. However you want to understand what the mechanics of that, of that, of that Mishnah are. Which is that ram was alive when Hashem said 
to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and put him up on the altar. And so, if Abraham didn't pass that test, that ram would have just continued to walk around. It would have just been another ram, just walking around. Now, all of a sudden, Abraham climbs these ginormous, which by the way is now, that word is now in the dictionary, in case you're wondering. (laughs) He climbs these ginormous heights, right? Ridiculous scales, unbelievable heights, and all of a sudden, he's able to meet that ram, which was waiting for him, but which he may never have accessed unless he climbed and passed all those tests. There's a reality in terms of our potential that exists right now. The question is, are we ever going to be able to become the people that will be able to access that reality which has been created and is waiting for us right here, right now. Do you hear that? Do you hear that point? This is is an amazing thing. Like, for instance, there could be a pen in your house right now that could be waiting for you to endorse a check for a very large sum of money, if you do that thing that you're capable of doing, right, write that book, you know, record that album, you know, do that amazing business idea, get it off the ground. And that pen is just kind of sitting there in your house. (laughs) Right, like the ram, like the ram. But in order for that to be the pen, (laughs) that's the pen. That's the pen I used to sign that check. In order for that to be the pen, you have to become the you. So, let's just review for a moment. Moshe begins by saying, I'm not a person of words at all. And then, in the same calendar date that we're reading these words, all of a sudden he's beginning the, the most epic form of speaking. By the way, if you want to know, just as a footnote, if you want to know, it says that at, at um, Mount Sinai, everyone who is sick was healed. And they say that this was, the, this was also true for Moshe. Right, so, so whatever um, speech impediment he had, however we're to understand that, that he, you know, that he was healed from that, okay? But still, an amazing thing. Now, now that's not a small thing, because I want to start to focus in on that right now. You see, because...
l- let's understand exactly what that's saying. You could say, well, okay, so lucky for Moshe, lucky for all of those people, they were at the place of healing at Mount Sinai, and then everybody got healed, but what about me today? So, you know, that was good for them, but what about me right now? So I, I think that we can maybe miss the point, and I don't want to miss the point, because Because I think the deeper point that's being communicated there is that the Torah itself is healing us. And we have the Torah today. And so the Torah is available there there to heal us. And when I'm talking about healing, don't, don't misunderstand me. I know there are certain religious sects that say, don't go to a doctor, just read the Bible and you'll be healed. So that's not the Jewish point of view at all. God also made doctors. <laughs> go to a doctor. <laughs> In fact, go to the best doctor that you can go to. Right? So we are very strong on doctors. Right? Nonetheless, we say that God puts the healing through the doctor. Right? So the healing comes down through the doctor. And the bigger, I heard from a, a rabbi that the, the bigger the doctor, the bigger the angel that's attached to the doctor. So that's... Uh, just on a spiritual level, why you should try to go to the biggest doctor. Because he has the the, the greatest angel of healing attached to him. Okay? But again, everything is not coming through the doctor. It's not coming through the angels. It's only coming through God. Okay? But you see here that there is a divine flow of Torah which, which allows us, which puts us, here's the point, it's more than healing, it's a form of healing, but that the Torah itself is putting us in touch with our own potential and is able to allow us to reach to be the people who we are capable of being. Now, this is very important because because a lot of people, especially people who, you know, grow up without being um, Torah observant, including myself, uh, when you confront the idea of doing mitzvahs and things like that, like a lot of times it's, it's like there's something deep within you, which is like, why do you want to change me? What's wrong with me that you want to change me? Right? Um, there's also another fear, which is that if I do that, I will cease to be me. I will existentially die and disappear because I will now be the person who's doing this and I will no longer be who I've been up until now. So what will be of me if I start keeping the mitzvahs? Right? But Rav Cook says it, I think, in such a clear, beautiful way. He says, all, all these things are like mistaken notions, what I just said. He said, what the Torah is doing what the mitzvot are doing is putting you in touch with the deepest aspect of yourself. It's allowing to realize who you actually are. It's not trying to make you something that you're not. The whole point of it is to make you who you actually are. To bring you up to that level, right? Where Abraham Avinu can meet the ram at that level. To be the person who actually scales those heights so that he can access the reality that's already here for him to be complete. 
And the Torah helps you to be complete in this way. Now, it's, it's, it's well known, and I'm going to provide a deeper teaching in a moment, but it's a, it's a classic Torah teaching that, that, at, that Mount Sinai was, um, was, a, was a chuppah, was a, was a marriage ceremony between God and the Jewish people, between heaven and earth. Right? And, and, and that's, that's amazing. In fact, I've heard that it, it, it even goes further, that the two luchos, the two tablets, like represent man and wife coming together. Right? So, so we have this notion that, that when two people get married, that really you're one soul. You begin as one soul in heaven, and then you come down at two different times, and you, you go into two different bodies, and then under the chuppah, that soul becomes reunited. Right? By the way, I want to just tell you something, just, uh, just as a practical piece of uh, marriage advice for anyone who's looking for someone. And this is, I, I just uh, was so kind of amazed by this. So I know someone, and this is, I know, I know them personally. I know someone who is born on a certain day, of course, and then he married someone who was born on the exact same day. Can you imagine they had the exact same birthday? Now that, that, that to me is pretty amazing. Then they had their first child who was born on the same day. I, I know these people. I know these people. And they're divorced now. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because of the end of the story, actually. Not because of the beginning of the story, although the beginning of the story is perfectly interesting. A lot of people, when they're dating and everything like that, they're looking for this sign and they're looking for that sign, right? I know two people who met, like, at night by the Ari's mikvah. Like, oh my goodness, how could this not be blessed? They're also divorced, right? You know what you should look for in a marriage partner? Someone who you like and get along with, <laughs> right? There's no... That's, that's the most mystical thing in the world. To meet another person who you actually like is miraculous. It's truly miraculous. You know, someone, I heard someone told me this at work. There's this guy who's actually a very gifted guy, but, you know, a bit of a weirdo. And someone told me about that, I heard him say something. And here's what he said. You know, they had just gone out, for, he had just gone out, for lunch with some of the other co-workers. And someone told me that afterwards, he said, you know, it's really important for me to go out, you know, for lunches with other people every once in a while to remember how much I hate people. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure he was half joking when he said it, but I'm sure he was <laughs> half serious as well. You know, just to meet another person who you get along with, and my wife's philosophy, and I think this is great dating advice, which is that if you meet someone and you go out on a date with them, 
And then you're wondering, oh, you know, you, you've got your whole life plan, like, well, are, are they this type of person or that type of person? And what about this and what about this? And you're talking about huge, large issues. And my wife is very strong on this point, which is that, did you have a nice time with them? Yes. Then go out with them again. Keep on going out with them until you don't have a nice time with them. And then that may have been just a bad day, and then you can evaluate it at that time. You know, because not every date is going to be a great day. But, you know, then you just have to be mature and, and decide whether to give the person another chance beyond that. But in terms of the initial run, it should just be based on one thing. Did you have a nice time? That's it. That's it. Period end. Period end. Um, so let's get back to Mount Sinai. And again, let's just kind of recap what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea that, that, that all of us are capable of going through, in fact, it's not just that we're capable of this, that this is really so much of all of life, is, is this point that we're making right now, is this journey from where I start to who I could be, right? And we say that the, the greatest exemplar of this is Moshe Rabbeinu. That Moshe starts as not being able to say any words, right? That's what we're reading in the Torah portion. And in the calendar, in the calendar, we've got Shvat, the first day of Shvat, where he starts saying the last book of the Torah, where he's like the most amazing speaker in the world. And then we said, okay, let's go even more in terms of us. What about Avraham Avinu? Avraham Avinu, like, there's this ram that's waiting for him, but it's only... It's, he's only going to be able to access this ram if he becomes like this spiritual giant. He becomes the spiritual giant and the reality of the culmination of that has been waiting for him all along. It exists in materiality, in the material world right now, but he's got to rise to that point that he's able to access what's there. Right? That's the pen that we were talking about in terms of signing the check or the ram, which is a better example in terms of Avraham Avinu. We say, well, how do we get to this point in terms of our own lives, right? And that's, that's through the Torah, that, that Moshe Rabbeinu made that turning point in, in terms of being able to speak right at Mount Sinai, and that Mount Sinai still exists for all of us today every time we open up the book of Torah, every time we learn Torah, every time we attend a class or turn on uh, some audio, we're at Mount Sinai, right? Because it says the voice from Mount Sinai never stopped. Right? And that's the point through which we can achieve those levels in our life. Now, now we say that, that when we get married, that we're reuniting and our soul is becoming complete. Right? And that's, that's an amazing thing. We're, we're, we're rediscovering this other part of ourselves. And that's, that's sort of like our growth in terms of potential and everything like this. And so it's appropriate that you see that at Mount Sinai, that Mount Sinai is called a wedding ceremony as well. In fact, what it says is, we darshan, the Gomorrah darshans, the Pasuk from Vizos HaBracha, right? It says, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe Morasha Kihilos Yaakov, which is translated as, um, the Torah that Moshe commanded us is the heritage of the congregation of Jacob. But if you look at what the rabbis explain in, in Gemur Pesachim, they say that this word, Morasha, 
is actually the same word as moorasa, which means married. That basically, that we're, we're married to the Torah. We're married to the Torah. And now I promise to tell you something deeper. And now listen to this. You know, classically, I know in certain instances it's a little bit different these days, but it's still true even today. And certainly this has been true classically, which is that the man chases the woman. Right? So why, why would that be the case? Right? Because it certainly could have been the other way or it could have been equal, right? Why has it been historically, and even till this day, that primarily speaking, it's the way of the world that the man pursues the woman? Why is that the case? Now, you know something? They asked this in the Gomorrah. The Gomorrah asked this question, you know, because they were like, you know, make it the woman chases the man or that there's no special order, right? So they say something fascinating which is that, that, that it's the nature of someone who loses something to pursue a lost, a lost thing, right? So if I lose something, I'm wandering around trying to find it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So when Hashem, create, when cre- when Hashem created the first person, Chava, when Hashem created Adam, Chava was inside of Adam. And Hashem puts Adam to sleep, and then he takes part of his side, his rib, right? What we call Adam's rib, right? He takes part of his side, and from that side, he creates his wife. And so, because there was an aspect of Adam that was inside of him, that belonged to him, that was part of him, that he's now missing, he runs around pursuing it. So this, on a very deep spiritual level, is how, why the mechanics of, court, how the mechanics of courtship are explained, because the man is trying to find what's part of him. And as we said, when you go under the chuppah, Right? You're one soul, and the one soul is reunited. So you're able to find that which you've been missing, which was part of you all along. Okay. Now with this in mind, we're going to go to Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver, right, in the Or Torah. And he says that you see this in terms of Torah as well. Then. So the Gomorrah teaches that when we're inside of our mother's stomachs, right, inside the womb, an angel comes and teaches us the entire Torah. So so why is it so important to do the mitzvahs? You see, because we've learned the Torah but we haven't performed the Torah yet. So when we're born, we forget, we actually forget the Torah. The angel touches us on our mouth and we forget the Torah that we learned. And now when someone 
goes through life, they're now pursuing the Torah that was part of them, that they learned that that is their unique share in the Torah, and they're running around trying to find it. Every single person is given a unique share in the Torah. That's what they were taught inside their mother's wombs. That's what the angel teaches you. And then when you're born, you're running after it just like a person runs after their soulmate because just like Adam had a chava inside of him and then it was removed and now he's got to run around and find it in order to be complete. So when we were inside of our mother's womb, we got our Torah and then it's forgotten And now we run around the world trying to find it and being reunited with the uniqueness of our teaching. Now, here's here's an interesting thing, which is that there's one Torah, but we're all seeing it from different angles. But don't make the mistake, which a lot of people make, especially today, which is, no, this is, this is what it is, and, and I'm the final authority. If that's your, if that's your attitude, then you're, 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 you're completely gone. Then you don't even know what we're discussing right now. There is a Torah. It exists, objectively speaking. It exists. It's not whatever you decide it is. It exists. And if you say, no, really, it's this, right? And it doesn't sync with what our tradition is then I'm very sorry to tell you, I love you very much, but you're wrong. And you just have to have the humility to accept the fact that you're wrong. There is a Torah, and you have a unique portion in it, and you will see it like no one else will see it. But you have to make sure that the uniqueness of your vision of the Torah and the actual Torah itself are one and the same. Meaning to say, you have to make sure that you are uniquely seeing what is actually there. Now, I heard from Rabbi Wolfson, I saw written from him, something that I was, I I don't know why when I read this, I was sort of shocked. But I thought it was sort of shocking. Now, those of you who who know these things are, are very familiar with who Rav Moshe Feinstein is. Right, Zechor Tzadok Levrocha. He was the head posek, the the head um, uh, Jewish law decider of the previous generation, right? And and so so we know that there are four levels to the Torah. There's and and the first letters of this spells pardes, which means like an orchard, right? So this is like sort of the divine garden of Eden, which exists sort of cosmically in terms of all the levels of the Torah. And of course, these four levels sync with all the fours, with the four worlds, right? And also with, with, with the letters of Hashem's name and, and, and everything like this. It's amazing stuff, right? And that's Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Sod, right? So Pshat is... What is the the um, what is the Torah? What does the verse actually say? So, for instance, to go back to an example that we used earlier, when God says, "Take the fruit from the beautiful tree," pshat is that's the esrog tree, 
right? That's the, that's the particular fruit. That's what it's talking about. Now, if you want to say, um, now if you want to go through all the different levels, then you can say, oh, isn't it interesting that it's likened to a fruit? Right now, all of a sudden, we're getting homiletical, which is also a totally legitimate level and everything good. But before we get into all the depths, we have to know, okay, it says, take a fruit. What's the fruit? The fruit is the asterisk. That's a pshat. Okay. Now, if someone... So, so Rabbi Wolfson said about Rav Moshe, right, who is one of our greatest tzaddikim, he said, his neshama, his soul... Came, the, came from the Olam HaPshat, from the world of Pshat, right? Now, that in itself is like, wow, that's a, that, that, that's a very big statement here. Because now, all of a sudden, if you're following what Rabbi Wolfson is saying, is that there's a world of Pshat, there's a world of Remez, there's a world of Drush, there's a world of Sod, and that neshamas are coming from these four different spheres in terms of how you understand the Torah. And of course it makes sense that Rav Moshe, according to Rav Wolfson's understandings, soul came from the Olam Apshat, because what is halacha lamaisa? What is practical law? Is what am I supposed to do at this moment right now? Don't give me a crazy, wild, beautiful interpretation. I want to know, can I do it? Can I not do it? (laughs) This plate that I have, do I have to put it into a boiling pot? Do I have to throw it out? Or can I rinse it off and use it right now? What do I do right now? Practical halacha is the olam hapshat. Right? So it makes sense that that Rav Moshe, according to Rabbi Wolfson, that his neshama came from the olam hapshat. So so from the olam hapshat... Rav Moshe, according to this, is seeing the entire Torah. That doesn't mean that he can't delve into the other worlds and the other levels of understanding. Of course he did. But that's his unique portion in Torah, and through his uniqueness, seeing the entirety of what's there. And that's all of us as well. Right? All of us are seeing the Torah uniquely, And now what we have to do is we have to sync up our unique view with an understanding of what's there. And when we do that, we're able to find our soulmate, which is the Torah, which will complete us, which will allow us to ascend the levels to become the person who we're destined to be. It is through the Torah, through our pursuing of the uniqueness of what's there, from our understanding, that we will be able to climb the heights of achieving our potential and becoming the realization of who we can be. Now I want to tell you a story, and it's a, it's a very small story, but it was meaningful to me, so I'm going to share it with you, okay? So we were talking about it on Shabbos a little bit, it's an embarrassing story, right? But it's, 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 it's real. So, so, and it happened to me. So that's why I can tell. So, so there's a, a minion that I go to during the week, and it's, it's blazingly fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it is fast, right? And, and just, 
just for people who who uh, haven't quite figured this out yet, when when the minion says it starts at 6.15, that means that you have to have your talisman to fill in on at 6.15, not that you show up at 6.15, right? So that's just something that they never announce, but they leave that to you to figure out, and many people never figure that out. So I'm just telling you that. So, um, so this particular minion, it's... I've seen them go from bruchas to yishtabach, which is basically the whole first part of the morning service, in minutes. In minutes. I mean, it's, it, it blazes, okay? It's funny, because I also go to probably the slowest minion in the city as well, so I kind of split my time between the two. But anyway, that, that aside, um, <laughs> um, that aside, I'm... I'm always very anxious in the morning to make sure, especially since it's very early, it'll start at, sometimes it starts at 6 a.m. on a holiday or 10 after 6 in the morning or quarter after 6 in the morning, depending on whether we're reading Torah. So, and it's still, at this point of the year, it's still dark out at that point. So you, you know, it's like you're getting up. It's like, it feels like the middle of the night, even though it isn't, but it feels like it. And I'm driving on these side streets, which are not busy at all. There are basically no cars there. And, and if I'm a little bit late, I'm usually very anxious because I just I want to get there without being too late usually, okay? If I'm on time, it's a treat. So there's one corner that I turn in order to go on the street where the shul is, and I'll turn and, and like about, I don't know, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, there was, it's a four-way intersection, and there was a car that wanted to go straight, you know, down that street. I had to turn to go down that same street. I saw he's beginning to move, like he's starting his move past the stop sign. And I just continued and I took the, I took the right, you know. So there was no, there was no um, like, oh, there was almost a car crash. No, there was nothing like that. We weren't close to each other. But nonetheless, it was, it was wrong, you know. So I, I get and I park and I was only even half aware of it, you know. And then the person comes up to me and he's he's a little he's a little older than I am and he see, I, I think his accent was Israeli, whatever it is, and you know he says, you know, as nicely as he could, you know, that I, I cut him off and you know, and I apologized to him I, and I truthfully told him that I was half asleep and and I'm sorry and you know whatever it is, okay. So now, cut to about two weeks later, and this, it was this past week, I'm driving, and I get to that same corner, and I do it again. And I'm thinking the whole time, oh no. It was like the exact, same it, was, it was the same guy, <laughs> you know, and it's not like, okay, you know, it's fine, because he, who knows who he is and where he's going. No, he's going to the same prayer service that I'm going to, you know? So I park, and I, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was so embarrassed. I thought, let me just, I don't want to see him in the parking lot or anything like that. I'm just going to just get into the, the thing as fast as I can, whatever it is. Maybe there's a tiny chance that it's not him. It was definitely him. <laughs> so, so I get in, and then at one point, and now, and now here's the reason really why I'm telling you this story. Really because of what I was where my mind was right at this point in the story. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, oh, I can't believe this. This is so embarrassing. And then I'm like, 
But you know what? Who is he really to get so upset? You know, and at one point I looked up and I saw, and I'm not being paranoid. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as bad as what I'm about to say. But this part is true. I looked up about 20 minutes later and I see him whispering to the guy next to me and they're both looking at me. <laughs> now again, that doesn't mean they were talking about me. I'm not saying that definitively. <laughs> but it didn't make me feel good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, what's, what's, what's his problem? Listen to these words, because this is, this is the point. What's his problem? And then I, 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 I actually thought the following thing, because I, I think he's Israeli. I said, he's Israeli, he's older than I am. That means he fought in wars. He fought in wars, and he's getting upset about me doing this? And I found myself getting, like, like everything I did, and, and, and the reason why I'm walking you through these steps is because I think probably, I'm guessing that if I went through this, probably we all do versions of this. I was making my mistake and my problem his problem. What's wrong with him? Right? I'm 100% in the wrong here. I'm 100% in the wrong. And all I'm thinking about is I'm angry at this guy for having a problem. And what was his problem if I actually thought a little more clearly? Oh, his problem is, is that I did something wrong <laughs> to him. <laughs> Which means he legitimately has the right to be upset with me. And then I start to think more. Remember, this is as I've got my talus and tefillin on, I'm diving and going through the service. I'm thinking, David, you know, why don't you just apologize to him? And then I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> and it just makes me feel so diminished and so small. <laughs> like, I just feel like, uh, like I'm just this big nothing that I have to ask him for his forgiveness. And then I thought, but David, you did something wrong. Are you going to be like Be'emis? Like, are you going to be like a truthful person or not? You did something wrong. You have to apologize to him. So then I, I thought, yeah, that's right. That, that, that's right. That is right. So I have to apologize. Okay. Okay, I'll apologize. I'll apologize. So the service ended, and like I kind of like blinked, and he was already like basically out the door. And I was still, you know, catching up on some prayer, so I'm still in the middle. He already is like all ready to go. And I had to like run to another room, and literally the door was open. He was halfway out the door, and right as I'm about to catch him, there's someone who I, who's an old friend who I hardly ever have a chance to speak with. He's literally standing by the door, and he said, David, how are you? And I'm like, okay, I don't want to be rude to this guy. 
but I'm about to miss him, you know? So I said to him, I said, wait just one second, wait one second. And I, and I went up to him and I said, I didn't even prepare anything to say, you know? But I just said, I did it again, didn't I? And he said, yeah. And then this is really weird, because I don't know where this came from. I just took my hand and I stroked his cheek. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I really, I did not mean to do that. <laughs> and then he smiled and he said, I'm getting used to it. <laughs> Which leads me to believe that it wasn't these just these two times, that, but that there may have been other times that I didn't even know about. Which is highly possible, by the way. Perhaps even likely. I hate to say, but I, I can't say definitively. So. So. The Torah, the Torah is there to make you into the person who you need to be. That wasn't making me into someone else. That was bringing out the best aspect of myself. The Torah is not there to change you. You will change, but that change is great, right? If you change an egg into an omelet, right? Or if you t change flour into bread, that's a great change. So the idea of changing is not a bad thing. In, in fact, it could be the ultimate, most fantastic thing. You want to be the truest you. And the way to do that is by finding your soulmate, right? Which is the Torah on the deepest level. And then performing it. Because as we brought up before, but we didn't complete the point, this dimension that we're in right now is called Olam Asiya, which very powerfully means the world of action, not the world of good intention, not the world of I'm thinking about it, <laughs> not the world of maybe tomorrow, <laughs> but actually the world of action. And so the this chemical change in terms of your soul and yourself and the world happens when you combine a teaching and an action. And then something blossoms and a new aspect of you rises up and you begin to climb the levels to where things that are right there for you, that have already been made, like that pen, like the ram, whatever it is, you will be able to reach the heights where you'll be able to access what's already there. And this, I think, is the difference between living and surviving. A lot of people go through their entire life surviving. You know, they just need... I just need enough food to get up to the time where I need my next bit of food. <laughs> and then I just need enough sleep so that I can do enough to go back to sleep again. Right? And everything is reactive, and everything is surviving, and everything is treading in place to just maintain and not to sink further. But why not 
look forward, because that's why the whole world was created, and that's why you were created. Why not look up? Why not look forward? And that's why it's so essential for us to make a plan. You need a plan. You need a plan. You need a plan. And, and, and it should be something that, that involves your uniqueness. Right? Your unique understanding of the Torah. Because that will be the road, that will be the road for which you're able to complete yourself and you're able to climb the various levels. Right? Now, a person can say, I want to make a plan. You know, I have to say something. I know someone, and this is... I don't want anyone to <laughs> get the wrong lesson from this story. Right? You know what? I won't tell. <laughs> it's going to be misinterpreted. So, um, a person could say, I aspire to be, I don't know, a United States senator. Right? And then, that's my plan. You said, make a plan. That's my plan. Okay, but maybe that'll happen, maybe that won't happen. Right? That's, that's a hard one. But if you make a plan in Torah, like a plan in Torah study, what you want to accomplish in that, there is nothing stopping you from that. Right? It's not, oh, if I get another a raise in my job, or if I get a great job, or if I get this or that. There is nothing stopping you from making a plan in Torah, and a goal in Torah, and achieving it. Nothing is stopping you. Right? Oh, but I didn't meet my wife. I didn't meet my husband. I didn't have that kid. I didn't... Whatever it is. Nothing is stopping you from making a plan in Torah and achieving that plan. Right? And so... 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 So let's just conclude and make sure that we understand what we just said. Moshe goes from not being able to speak, to becoming the greatest exemplar of the flow of the Torah. And the turning point is the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai, which is healing. But Mount Sinai, that healing, that voice from Mount Sinai has never stopped. That energy, that power of transformational, you know, energy has never stopped being put out in the world. And it's accessible to all of us. And there's certain things in this world right now that are waiting to be accessed by us, but we can only access them if we reach a certain level. And the Torah is that that path through which we can raise ourselves up in order to get to who we can be, who we really are, and how we can change the world. 